It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? Live Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us on another edition of Crunch Time Plays. Got another amazing guest for you today. We've had our own before from 1025 The Game in Nashville. You know, we had it planned to, to talk about some college baseball today. We're certainly going to get to that, but some other some other exciting things are happening in Nashville as well. And just so thankful to have Caroline Fenton back today. Caroline, hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming back. Doing great. So happy to be back. You know, we've had a slow news day in Nashville the past few days. It's been, you know, no breaking news, nothing big happening over here. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> So I had I had all I had all this the college baseball stuff ready for you, and I'm certainly going to get to it in the second half of the show. But I wanted to spend the first half talking about Julio Jones because that's a certainly a hot topic around Nashville these days. And there's been been a lot of talk about the fit for him. Personally, I thought it was a, a really nice fit. You get to the opposite him with AJ Brown, going to be able to have more opportunities to stretch the field for the Titans' offense. Just what have you? What have you seen or heard from from Titans fans around there about the acquisition of Julio Jones? Well, you know, everyone is very excited about it because that's exactly what this team needed. Um, The Titans had one of the best offenses in the league last year, but they were forced to give up two really key components of that offense in free agency in Corey Davis and Johnny Smith. So the Titans were left with two really big holes on offense in order to build up the defense, which was more than necessary. And I don't think that they're done, but we can get to that later. But people are really excited about Julio Jones. For one, that that offense will be built up and I think it's upgrade from last year. And also because the Titans are now in national conversation. Um, you know, when you turn on Get Up, when you turn on Sports Center, Titans aren't necessarily a topic of conversation in the national discussion. So now that you get Julio Jones and a, a general a generational talent on the Titans They're now in this national discussion. They're now being talked about to go to the AFC Championship, possibly the Super Bowl. So I think fans are really excited to finally have a a generational talent in Julio Jones, and as well as Derrick Henry. But with the addition of Julio Jones, it just adds so much more star power to this offense. So fans are very, very excited. But they're also a little skeptical in a way. Um, That's another kind of sentiment that I've heard here in Nashville is, okay, we know he's Julio Jones, but he's 32 and he's injured. And is Julio Jones what he used to be? And can he produce for the Titans like he did for the Falcons? And my personal take on it is, no, he's not what he used to be. He's 32 years old. He's not going to have, you know, these crazy 1,500-yard reception seasons like he did with Atlanta. But – a 32-year-old Julio Jones is probably a lot better than a lot of other wide receivers in their prime. So mixed sentiments over here in Nashville. And I think people are a little bit skeptical about the restructuring of Brian Tannehill's contract and what that will look like in the future. Overall, I think it's a great thing. But there are a few, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. There are a few glaring cons and ifs, if you will, um, surrounding Julio Jones. I know we, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording this, but but just the reasonable expectations now for the Titans. You know, a lot of people are saying now it's, it's Super Bowl or bust. 
but then there's some fans that are a little bit more cautiously optimistic. But but in in your mind, what what would you say is a reasonable expectation now that Julio Jones is in Nashville? Well, I think Super Bowl expectations are incredibly lofty. Um, I totally understand that when fans see that their general manager is giving up a lot, a second, a fourth, and $15 million to get Julio Jones. The fans have every right to be excited about it and to be excited about the potential of a Super Bowl. I'm not quite there yet. I don't think that this Titans team was only a Julio Jones away from a Super Bowl caliber team. I would love to be proven wrong. However, I think the absolute floor for this team, like the minimum that this team needs in order to justify the acquisition of Julio Jones is at least winning the AFC South. I think a reasonable expectation is to go to the AFC Championship. Getting past the Chiefs is going to be incredibly difficult. I mean, the Bills are an incredibly talented team. Uh, the Titans play the Rams this year. That could be an incredibly difficult matchup for the Titans. But I think at least getting to the AFC Championship is a reasonable expectation. And if the Titans get to the AFC Championship, they could lose. But if they at least get there, then I can justify the $15 million price tag on Julio Jones. Well, before before the draft, we were talking about you know all the options that the Titans had, and 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 based on uh, what they what John Robinson did during the draft, a lot of people were skeptical about that. Uh, going with Caleb Farley, it was kind of a it was kind of the same reaction with with Julio as as Caleb Farley. They had kind of a, a mixed division there. But how how did John Robinson handle the draft? But as well, it, now when you look past the draft and you see a guy like Julio Jones that he's added, just what ha, do you think fans have kind of changed their mind about John Robinson now? Because I know a lot of people were upset with him after the draft. You know, I don't think it's fair to necessarily grade the draft or the acquisition of Julio Jones until they play. Because Caleb Farley could be totally healthy and be one, one of the best, if not the best corners in this year's draft. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to say, okay, now he's a success. Um, but I do think that John Robinson showed a very clear message that he's going for it this year. And I think that Titans fans love that because you only have about two to three years left of Brian Tannehill and Derrick Henry's prime, if not less. So if you're going to go for it, go for it, do it, you know, put all your chips into 2021. And I think fans kind of love that John Robinson is willing to do that and is willing to, to throw a little bit of a risk in there. I am not yet convinced. Um, it could be very likely that in game one, Julio Jones pulls his hamstring and is up for the rest of the season. Knock on every single piece of wood that you have in your house. I hope that doesn't happen. But he's 32 and he's had hamstring issues in the past. So it is a viable option. So, I, I, you know, I do think that if Julio Jones is a bust, then that's going to be um, maybe kind of the, the, the last straw that broke the camel's back in terms of John Robinson. If he's going to mortgage this team's future and give up a second and a fourth round pick and a second round pick, that's Derrick Henry. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big time pick. Um, so if you're giving up a second and a fourth round pick, if you're signing on to Ryan Tannehill for a few more years, then you got to get something out of it. So I think that fans are excited about the fact that the Titans are putting a little bit more stake into this year. Um, but I, I still have, I'm a little apprehensive to say that John Robinson is a winner or a loser. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because I'm I'm definitely not somebody that 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 wants to grade anybody until I see that you know the product 
that they right. put on the field. But but speaking of which, the like we're talking about the Titans may not be done yet. Another look, possibly looking to add some more defensive mm-hmm. pieces. Because defense was pretty embarrassing in twenty twenty. But but what what what's the key, and who are maybe a couple guys that the Titans could possibly be targeting on the defensive side of the ball in order to improve that defense to make that Super Bowl run that fans want. I think adding anything to the defensive line or adding any sort of pass rush is going to be huge. And I talked about that when we were chatting before the draft about how the Titans just need help on that pass rush so bad. Um, I mean, the Titans signed Budgie Pre in free agency, which was huge. I think that eased a lot of fans' concerns about the defense adding Bud Dupree. However, he had an ACL injury last year and he's also a little bit older. So, you know, you're, you're kind of not feeling so great about putting all of your pass rush responsibilities on a guy who's injured and old. Um, Titans also have Harold Landry. Um, if Bud Dupree is injured, I don't necessarily feel hundred percent confident about Harold Landry being that lead pass rush, um, especially when you don't have incredible depth at corner. The Titans have a lot of cornerbacks. They have Janoris Jenkins, which I feel great about. They also had Caleb Farley in the draft, who's hurt. Christian Fulton is also in that corner depth chart, but he doesn't have a ton of NFL experience. So, you know, we talk about all of the ifs with Julio Jones, if he can stay healthy, if he's okay being that number two guy behind A.J. Brown. But that defense also has a lot of ifs. So I think if the Titans can sign another really quality pass rush, like a playmaker on defense – then I'll be willing to say, okay, maybe, maybe Super Bowl or bust is is a is a feasible option. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and kind of moving on to to the second part, we're we're talking about college baseball a little bit. There was a, a great weekend this past weekend in the regionals, and I texted you on Friday night oh, after God. after Drew Gilbert hit the grand slam to to mm-hmm. beat Wright State. And personally, I thought Tennessee had the toughest draw because I thought Wright State deserved a higher seed than a four, and then Liberty and Duke were were two great opponents as well. And, you know, you kind of got a little worried about Tennessee down eight to five there in the bottom of the night, but Drew Gilbert comes comes through with a grand slam, and that kind of just set the tone for the rest of the weekend. Oh, my gosh, it was a blast. And I was watching that game with a couple of Tennessee alum, and they were just so – annoyed and pissed off and like you said like you know right states down a four seed they're so much better than that and they really did look really really good on friday night but oh my gosh i mean that grand slam is one of those things that you know drew gilbert will remember that for the rest of his life that will go down in tennessee sports history as one of the coolest moments um so that has been a blast and it really been so fun following this tennessee vanderbilt um, you know, rivalry is, is is maybe a strong word to say, but just seeing being a part of two super talented baseball teams, getting to cover two really talented baseball teams, one who's historically that good, one who has hosted a super regional for four years in a row now, one who has just won the College World Series, who is in a blue blood in college baseball in Vanderbilt, and then you have Tennessee, who just hosted a super regional in Knoxville for the very first time ever, who has not historically been a very talented baseball team. They have a new coach in Tony Vitello. So I think that Tennessee baseball has a super bright future ahead of them. Um, so it's been really fun to watch kind of the the contrast between Vanderbilt and Tennessee baseball and see them both compete now at the la- the national level. That's def- definitely true. And, and just looking at Tony Vitello, you know, a lot of, you know, he had a chance to go to Missouri a couple of years ago, decides to come 
to Tennessee. And a lot, a lot of the guys are are Tennessee natives on the team. But and then one of the things that I've kind of been mulling over the past couple weeks, talking about on the show with a couple of different people, is is when we're looking at the future of Tennessee baseball, just how much possibly NIL could come into play here because you know, in baseball, they only have 11.7 scholarships, which of course is probably a topic for another show because that that's, that's, that's ludicrous to me. But when you're talking about NIL, it gives you the opportunity to kind of expand uh, your recruiting territory a little bit, because when you have people that come into Tennessee, they can have those name, image, and likeness opportunities mm-hmm. where, where it's, that can kind of make up for, possibly what they're having to pay out of pocket to come to school when you're talking about having those 11.7 scholarships. But whenever you look at the future of Tennessee baseball, just how much do you think NIL could come into play there? I think it's going to come into play in a big way for a lot of programs. Um, First and foremost, I think that one really great thing for Tennessee is that they're on board with baseball now. Tony Vitello has proved that they are a national, they can be a national powerhouse. So now Tennessee boosters are buying in and saying, we'll pump a bunch of money into the facilities. We'll punch, we'll, we'll pump a bunch of money into the stadium and into his contract. And I think that's the first step to creating a dynasty or creating a powerhouse program is a buy-in from the boosters and being able to update all of your facilities. Because if you're a 16, 17-year-old kid in high school who's going on a recruiting trip, you're going to be oohed and odd and wowed in all different ways. And right now, Tennessee baseball's facilities aren't necessarily up to par to, say, a Vanderbilt or a Mississippi State or a South Carolina. So I think that's going to be huge for the future of Tennessee baseball. Also, name, image, and likeness is going to be huge. Um, it's not going to be legal in every single state for now. Um, so I think that the states where it is legal, that that is going to be a huge pull for recruits to say, look, I can start making money now, um, especially if you're coming from a really rough environment where you may be in a low-income household, um, your family may need your help right now. That's going to be huge to say, I can start making money for my family and help my family, help myself, help my education. I can do that right now. So I think that's going to be huge. I think that they're going to be there. It it can get a little messy in terms of name image and likeness, because with the title nine requirements, um, things can start to shift one way or another. And, you know, some programs may get a lot more attention than others. And some worry about women's sports, because if these men's sports, um, you know, for example, let's say Tua, for example, um, he could have made a lot of money in college and a lot of eyes and money would have been thrown to his way. And then you look at, you know, let's say Alabama gymnastics, maybe there might not be any national big time names on that team, but they deserve just as much recognition. So I think with title nine and with women's sports, um, it's going to get a little bit more difficult. Um, but I think it's huge for these athletes. I mean, I, I am very pro, let them make money off of the brand that they've created because I don't think it's necessarily very fair that there are millions and millions of dollars being pumped into these programs and the kids aren't seeing a cent of it and it's going into the pockets of the people who haven't put the work in that these student athletes do. So I think it's going to be huge for college sports. I think it's going to be huge for college athletes. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And there's so so many things that, that are unknown about NIL, just like you were talking about with all the Title IX stuff. There's just so many things that, that have so to be – So many things that have to be – sorted out and i don't know if we'll be able to get the answer it'll probably be a, a few years down the road before before all of this is sorted out and you know maybe 
This will be the thing where you, you know, just learn by learn by the mistakes you make early on and, to, and just try to improve things later on down the road. But but we're looking at the Super Regionals this weekend. Uh, Tennessee is, is going up against LSU and uh, your alma mater, LSU. Yeah. And um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts about that weekend and then kind of move on to Vanderbilt against East Carolina. I think Vanderbilt's in a, a sole position to go to Omaha, probably going to win the first two games against East Carolina with Rocker and Lighter on the mound. But but when you look at Tennessee and LSU, it's kind of become a little bit of a rivalry this week on, on social media between Tennessee and LSU. It has. When Tennessee and LSU played the regular season, I mean, so Tennessee swept LSU in the regular season, as you probably know. And there was so much chatter, so much, you know, smack talking happened in the postgame interviews. And LSU was pissed off because LSU is historically an incredibly talented program. So I think that was a little bit of a, of a moment of awakening for LSU that, hey, maybe this year isn't our year. Um, so they are going to come back pretty mad. I do think that this series will go to three games. I think Tennessee pulls it out at the end. I think they're a more reliable team. But when you talk about two clutch teams and two teams that play nine innings, weird things happen to LSU baseball. You think about the rally possum a few years ago, um, you know, walk off home runs that shouldn't happen being down in the seventh inning and by 10 runs and then they come back and score 12 in one inning. Just the weirdest things that can happen with LSU baseball. So I'm not counting them out. Um, if I'm going to put my money in anything, I say Tennessee in three. Um, but it's going to be really fun to kind of watch that contrast between T Paul Maneri and Tony Vitello. Paul Maneri, someone who's been in the business for four years. He's retiring at the end of the season. He's had a success. He's won his college world series. He's made a name for himself in college baseball versus Vitello, who's a rising star. Somebody who has made a name for himself in these past couple of years, but he's got a long career ahead of him. He hasn't, he hasn't won his college world series yet. He hasn't had his name in, in hall of fame conversation, but he's getting there if he keeps up the success he's falling down an incredibly bright future um so it's going to be kind of fun to see this old classic blue blood vintagely talented team in lsu versus this tennessee team that has been so fun to watch so chippy um so it's it's going to be a really fun series well, before before I get to the last thing that I have for you, which was how many SEC teams do you think are going to go to Omaha, I wanted to touch on the, the LSU coaching search with you. As we know Paul Maneri's retiring mm -hmm. at the end of the season. And Kevin O'Sullivan, it appears, has had withdrawn his name uh, from the race. But kind of looking at Pat Casey now, you know, he hadn't coached at Oregon State since 2018. He mm -hmm. seems to be kind of the candidate that's emerged. The people have said Tony Vitello, I just can't see him leaving Tennessee, especially what he's trying to build over there. But what, what would your thoughts be on Pat Casey, a guy that, that's obviously proven, been to the College World Series many times, but he hadn't coached since 2018? So Pat Casey, former Oregon State baseball coach, has given LSU some trouble in the past. LSU and Oregon State kind of have this funny little rivalry in the postseason because 2017, LSU knocked them out. 2018, Oregon State knocked LSU out. So, you know, we kind of dread that Corvallis regional or super regional. Um, so having that person now coach your team who historically has beaten your team is a good thing. Um, so I would be fully on board. Another name that I've heard kind of thrown around is Mike Bianco. 
Um, his son, Drew Bianco, plays for LSU. Mike Bianco was a catcher at LSU in his tenure in college. Um, so it would kind of be like bringing someone home. But he's done such a fantastic job building a dynasty at Linus. Um, so if we can get him to come over at Rouge, come back home, then I would be totally on board for Mike Bianco. I just don't know if that's going to happen. And you mentioned Tony Vitello. That was a name that I heard thrown around. Um, I would be all for it. I am fully on the Tony campaign, but I think that once he's seen, like I mentioned, that buy-in from the boosters and from the athletic department, I think he's excited about what he's begun building at Tennessee and wants to see it through. And I don't blame him. No hard feelings. Well, when you look at how many SEC teams could go to Omaha this year, we're talking about this weekend, Super Regional Weekend. There's five uh, teams that could go when you're talking about the all-SEC matchup between Tennessee and LSU. How, mm-hmm. how many of of – how many do you expect to go to Omaha when you look at the series? I think Arkansas's, you know, no doubt going to be there because they can bring in Kevin Copps at any time and he can he can shut them down until they get the offense going. And then, but then you also have some intriguing matchups this weekend: Mississippi State, Ole mm-hmm. Miss, and then you got Vanderbilt and Tennessee, and also LSU playing against each other. How many SEC teams are are going to go to Omaha? So I think you can count on Vanderbilt. I think they'll be in there. Um, that Tennessee LSU matchup, I said, I think Tennessee is going to come out of it. So I can see Tennessee. Um, and then Arkansas, I think you can count on for sure. I think those are the three that I'm pretty dead set on. And then with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I, I, I'm I, not quite sure about Mississippi State. But I think that you're going to see at least four. Four of the, the six, right? There's six Um in a super regional, which is really cool because any other conference, the most that they have is three. So the SEC is just yet again <laughs> dominating the the playoffs. But I think you're going to see at least four, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were five. You can't have six, but I de- definitely wouldn't be surprised either. And it, it you know it just speaks to the to the commitment that that the mm-hmm. SEC's put in into baseball over the years. I mean, when the SEC decides that they're going to dominate in something. They're they're gonna have the resources to dominate in it. It's just that plain and simple. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you have if you have those resources, if you have that money, if you have that fan base. I mean, I think that's what's really cool about SEC baseball is you know in Baton Rouge, for example, where I went to school, if the if LSU plays a midweek game against the Citadel, that's all anyone's gonna talk about on Wednesday is that LSU baseball game. That's what people care about here in Nashville. We're not talking about Vanderbilt baseball, and that's that's no knock on Vanderbilt baseball. They're an incredibly talented team, but that's just not what gets it done for people in Nashville. But I think that um, in Starkville, in Columbia, South Carolina, in Baton Rouge, that is what people love. People love college baseball, and I think it's becoming that way in Knoxville as well. So having that kind of fan support and having that kind of fan base that will travel to your games and that will buy season tickets I think that's huge, and if I'm a recruit, that that would mean a lot to me. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And and Carolina, it's been awesome having you again. I know we'll 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 definitely do it again <laughs> soon. Again, do it real soon. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media for those who missed it last time, and and where they can watch or listen to Stillman and Company. Tell Jared that I that I said hello, and and I thoroughly enjoy uh, watching y'all every day. But but tell everybody where they can watch or listen to that as well. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton One. You can listen to Stillman and Company every Monday through Friday from two to six Central on the Game Nashville app on one and two five the game if you're in the Nashville area. And you can also stream on Twitter, uh, Periscope, YouTube, and Twitch. 
Well, thanks so much to Caroline for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Enjoy the Super Regional this weekend. And God bless everybody.